the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By God's grace and mercy, we have completed the third week of the Great Fast. And we are now at the midpoint of the fast. This is a reason for celebration, for joy. We've been doing Lent, as we say so often. And if we've been doing Lent right, then by now we're very aware of our own sinfulness and of our shortcomings and of our weakness. We've striven to keep the fast, both the physical fast from food and the spiritual fast from all evil, and we've fallen short in many ways. You could describe this as our Judas moment. Judas, so infinitely aware of the sin that he committed, despaired. And so we run the risk of that. We have to be careful. Our sinfulness is right in front of us, and that's how it should be. But God is merciful. So our Judas moment is unlike Judas. It becomes instead like Peter, or like any who have denied Christ. Because in so many ways we deny Christ, and yet God, who is merciful, receives us back. So at this moment of weakness within the midst of the fast, when we're seeing all the sinfulness before us, the church in her wisdom gives us her most powerful weapon in her arsenal. In the hymn, uh, one of the hymns from Orthros, it described the cross in this way. The support of the church, the strength of the rulers, the boast of the monastics, and the deliverance are you, O all venerable cross of Christ. And again it vespers, weapon invincible to all, unbreakable embattlement, boast of the clergy and triumph of emperors. These are just some of the superlatives that we hear about the cross. St. John of Damascus, who has the longest scroll over there on the, the backside, because of the profound gift of words that he had, both in hymns and also in theological writings and defense of the faith. St. John of Damascus, in his tome, The Orthodox Faith, says thus, The cross is a seal that the destroyer may not strike us, a raising up of those who lie fallen, a support of those who stand, a staff for the infirm, a crook for the shepherded, a guide for the wandering, a perfecting of the advanced, salvation for soul and body, a deflector of all evils, a cause of all goods, a destruction of sin, a plant of resurrection, and a tree of eternal life. This is the cross. This is why the cross is everywhere. This is why we have the cross on our bodies, in our houses, in our churches, to make the sign. This is why. It's the most powerful weapon that we have. And the cross, to fully understand what the cross is, we have to understand how the church views the cross. And not just in reading the gospel passages about Christ on the cross, but to understand how the cross of Christ is the fulfillment of everything that came before. There's a way of describing this, which is called talking about things in types. It's like talking about what a thing is as a hint of what is to come. 
We have much of this in the Old Testament, many Old Testament types as we call them. You could describe it as a symbol or as an image, but it's something deeper because what it is, is it reveals the fullness of the thing before we even see the thing itself. So I'll describe this for you a little bit. The cross itself is the antitype. The cross itself is the thing that is fully revealed. But in the Old Testament, we have many ways in which the cross was hinted to. And by knowing those things as types of the cross, we understand the cross itself more fully. So the cross, first of all, as we read in the Gospel of John, is that bronze serpent that was lifted up by Moses upon the rod. In John 3.14, Christ himself says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So Christ himself is teaching us about typology, the study of types. Because we hear that, and if we're in a very literal way of reading the Bible, we would say, well, that doesn't really connect. There's the serpent in the wilderness with Moses, and then there's the Son of Man being lifted up. But what we see is that the cross is what? It's our healing. That's what the serpent was. If you recall the story in the book of Numbers, the people of God in the desert for the umpteenth time started complaining against God, saying, why are we here? What are we doing here all these years in the wilderness? And they complained against God, so God in his mercy desiring to bring about their repentance, he did what? He sent poisonous serpents. And he sent those poisonous serpents to bring about their repentance. Remember, God is not a God of vindictiveness. He's not trying to punish them. He wants to bring them back to him. So he sends these poisonous serpents, and the people say what? They say, we have sinned, for we spoke against God and against you. They're speaking to Moses. Therefore, pray to the Lord and let him take away the serpent from us. So did God take away the serpent? He didn't. Rather, he disarmed the serpent. Because these poisonous serpents then were healed. The, the healing came because God told Moses to make a bronze serpent, to put it on a rod and hold it up high, have it placed up high. And whoever is bit by the serpent, they're still bit, but they're healed as soon as they look upon this bronze serpent. Now that we know what the cross is, before then, when, if we were the Old Testament Jews, we wouldn't fully understand what that bronze serpent is. But now we understand what that bronze serpent is more, we also understand what the cross is, because it's revealed to us, as Christ himself has said. And we see this playing out in our lives of us sinning, God trying to bring us back to repentance in what way? Yes, through trials and tribulations. We come back to repentance and then God heals us. It's an archetype of our spiritual lives. St. Cyril of Alexandria says, quote, This story is a type of the whole mystery of the incarnation. For the serpent signifies bitter and deadly sin, which was devouring the whole race on earth, biting the soul of man and infusing it with the venom of wickedness. And there is no way we could have escaped being conquered by it except by the relief that comes only from heaven. The word of God then was made in the likeness of sinful flesh 
that he might condemn sin in the flesh, as it is written. In this way, he becomes the giver of unending salvation to those who comprehend the divine doctrines and gaze on him with steadfast faith. But the serpent being fixed upon a lofty base, remember the serpent is on a, a tall rod, signifies that Christ was clearly manifested by his passion on the cross so that none could fail to see him. You see what's happening right We're understanding the cross more because we're understanding it in the way that the church understands it. So the cross is that bronze serpent. The cross also is the rod of Moses that he planted into the ground by the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted. This rod of Moses signifies deliverance. What did the people have at that moment? They had a massive army behind them coming closer upon them, and they had an ocean in front of them that they could not cross. And so the cross becomes their deliverance as its type in Moses. In the hymn of Vespers, just this evening it says, Though you, through you, the cross, the array and hosts of the demons are kept away. You are the unassailable panoply, the opponent of all demons. This is why we have our cross with us at all times and should have our cross with us at all times. The cross is our protection like the rod of Moses. It's the thing that we hold out before us and it delivers us. As Orthodox, we understand that prayer is not simply with our words, but it's with our body. And this is why this is the most common prayer. When we hear an ambulance, we cross ourselves. When we enter into a dangerous situation, we cross ourselves. When we go to work, we cross ourselves. St. Paisius said, when you pass a hospital, cross yourselves three times. Once for those who are lying in sickness. Once for those who are healing those in sickness. And another time because you're not there. This is our prayer. Our prayer is the sign of the cross. It is our great protection. The cross finally also is the tree of life, as we heard St. John of Damascus describe it. It is that which abolishes death. Now when we say the tree of life, we're going back all the way to paradise, to the Garden of Eden. St. Cyril of Alexandria says, Becoming like us and bearing our sufferings for our sakes, Christ restores human nature to how it was in the beginning, created the bodies of mankind. So Christ is the fruit of the tree of life. The tree of life is the cross. And this theme is so pervasive within our hymns and within the writings of our saints. Saint Ephraim the Syrian says, the, hand, the hands that Adam stretched out toward the tree of knowledge, he reached out towards the tree of knowledge, breaking the commandment, were unworthy of stretching out toward the tree of life. If you recall, God said, let us not let him get the fruit of the tree of life. Let us send him out. Otherwise, he'll be eternally evil. He'll live forever and be evil. So he banished Adam and Eve to protect them from the tree of life. These hands were unworthy. Continuing, St. Ephraim says, Our Lord took these hands and attached them to the cross. 
so that they might kill their killer and arrive at his marvelous life. He took the same hands of Adam because we all are humans together. He took those hands and nailed them to the cross in himself. In the Orthros this morning, it said, Of old the tree in the garden stripped us naked, and by its taste enemy, the enemy brought in death. Now the tree of the cross, which for all mankind is bearing the robe of life, was planted upon the earth, and therefore all the world is filled with every joy. This is the true tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which Adam went to, was a living tree that had fruit that caused death. Now we have a dead tree, branches, that give us the fruit of life. Everything is turned over. St. John of Damascus continuing, he said, By nothing else except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ has death been brought low. The sin of our first parent destroyed, hell plundered, sorry, the sin of our first parent is destroyed, hell plundered, resurrection bestowed, the power given to us to despise the things of this world, even death itself, the road back to the former blessedness made smooth, the gates of paradise opened our nature, seated at the right hand of God, and we made children and heirs of God. By the cross, all these things have been set aright. The cross has changed everything. And we have these feasts of the cross to remind us of this. Everything has been changed. Again, in the hymn of Vespers, just last night, it said, Though through you, the cross, and the cross is the only thing that we sing hymns to besides people. We sing hymns to God, to Christ, to the saints, and to the cross. Through you, the bitter tears and the sorrow have now disappeared. We have been rescued from the traps and the snares of death. We have gone over to unending happiness. Through you, the power that was death's has been swallowed up. We have been exalted from the earth to heaven's heights. That image of death being swallowed up. It should remind us of Corinthians where it says... Death is swallowed up in victory, which comes from Isaiah. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Hades is completely abolished. Hades has no power over us. How quickly we forget this, my brothers and sisters. This is why the church has given us the cross on this very day to remind us death is no more. We can despise death because Christ has overcome it. Now, if you were here during Orthros, there was one hymn that was read, and you must listen closely to this, because it's Hades speaking. Hades spied the one who gives life, lifted up on the cross, and said to those below, my ministers and governors, my heart, who has affixed it with a nail? A lance of wood abruptly pierced me through, and I am torn in two. My inner parts are distressingly pained. My belly aches, along with all the organs of my senses. My breathing quickens, and I am compelled to expel Adam and those of Adam, who by a tree were given to me, for it is a tree that leads them back again to paradise. St. Jerome said, The cross of Christ is the key of paradise. 
Hades is completely obliterated. So this is the fullness of the meaning of the cross. There's more that the church has to offer, much more. But it is the brazen serpent, the brass serpent in the wilderness, which heals us. It's the rod of Moses that delivers us from danger. And it is the tree of life, which has abolished death for us. Everything has been completely turned over by the cross. Everything has been turned around. Everything is backwards, you could say. This is the revelation of our faith, is that everything is backwards. Death has been overcome by death. Furthermore, we hear in the gospel today, what does he say? Those who would save their life will lose it. Those who will lose their life for, for my sake will save it. Everything is turned on its head by the cross. You can imagine one of those scenes like from a movie where there's a big uh, surface of ground and it flips over and there's something else. It flips back and there's the other thing. We could say everything is backwards, but in fact what has happened is the cross has turned everything to what it rightly is. Everything has been turned over by the cross. St. John Chrysostom said, what happened to this incomparable person, Jesus Christ? By what he said and what he did, he offended all our expectations to the utmost. He was forever correcting our assumptions about him. Ultimately, the cross is the corrective that helps us to understand who God really is. We didn't know who God was, but in Christ on the cross, the fullness of God's glory is revealed in complete weakness. The foolishness has become wiser than the wisdom of the world. Everything is now foolishness. What was wisdom of the world is now to us Christians, foolishness. And what is foolishness to the world to us is wisdom. Weakness is strength. Power is nothing. Everything is backwards through the cross. Hades has been rent asunder, as that hymn says. All the pain that Hades is feeling from the cross. And meanwhile, on the earth, if we flip it back over, what's happening? A miserable death with a bunch of sinners. The one who was the Messiah was completely killed by the people. So the world, in its wisdom, sees power. We have conquered but over this weakling. But what is revealed? The power is in the weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Everything is backwards. St. Paul says about the foolish, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Yet the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. He has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. Weakness is revealed as strength. This is good news for us, because right now, if we're doing Lent right, we feel pretty weak. If 
we're not doing Lent right and we don't feel very weak, perhaps we need to buckle down a little bit. But if we're feeling weak, if we're feeling on the brink of despair, like Judas, know that the weakness is where the strength comes. I've said this before, God can't work with our virtue. God can't work with all of our attributes and all of our strengths. God can work with our weakness. That's something we can give to him. That's something that then he can do something with. And in the world that is stupidity, it's foolishness, it's crazy, why would you expose yourself in that way? And so we think that God is like that. God doesn't want to see our weakness. He only wants to see our virtue. We have to understand these in the right way. Imagine that as our motto of Christians. Strength in weakness. What if that was the Marines saying that? Or the army? It's craziness. And if we don't take part in that craziness, then we're not Christians. Craziness in the eyes of the world. We must become weak, which means we must actually, again, everything is being revealed. We must see our weakness, because it's there. But we have to see it, otherwise we're not giving God anything to work with. Finally, my brothers and sisters, the conflict has ended. Harmony has come upon the earth. Death is no more. As St. Paul says in Ephesians, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, so as to create in himself one man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is the joy of the cross. And this is why the cross has been given to us on this day. So let us, in one final verse from the hymns this morning, let us do exactly this. Let us joyfully cry aloud, and in odes let us magnify the all-precious cross and venerate it with a kiss. Amen.